As with every class, we are going to begin with reading the Shema. So if you will all stand and read along with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Amen. And if you will stand and read with me, Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. All right, you can be seated. So this is one of the uh, better known parables. I'm sure you've heard at least one sermon about it before. Uh, so uh, in our Western eyes, what is it that we have been told that Jesus is teaching here? Don't store up treasures on earth. What is the, what's the moral of the story? Yes. Uh, I was going to say, you are not in control. You are not in control. Yes. What's another lesson that's gleaned from this story often? The verse that leaps out to me lately, as we get older, our kids get older, and we think about redistributing furniture that's been in our family for four or five years. <laughs> family married. Then we'll you want some more, Jared? <laughs> <laughs> Then will, whose will those be? Who will own what you have prepared? Yes. Uh, this is not original with me, but verse 13, he is standing in the presence of God, Jesus, and he's asking for money, squabbling over money with his brother. Mm -hmm. So you're in the presence of God, and that's what you're asking for, which is away from what you're trying to do today, but... <laughs> no, that's part of it. When I'm in the presence of God, what am I asking for? Right. Am I asking for his will, or um, fix this, or more this? God, do this, yes. So, uh, in our Western eyes, what is the turning point of this parable? What's the, the climax? When God says, thou fool... 
Yes, when God comes in and says, fool. But it's been a while since we've touched on this. Keeping in mind that parallelism is a big part of how the Jewish people read and understood their stories. When we look at uh, the story in this sense, we see that there are stanzas that, uh, that mirror each other and the climax is in the center. So we have the mirroring stanzas of the beginning and the end where the general principle is stated. So the principle is stated the first time, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And that is echoed again at the end. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Here we have an inversion where goods are given. The land of a rich man was very productive. Another way of saying that was the rich man's land gave plenty. So in that way, you see that it's, this isn't the rich man working. This is the rich man being given things. And then that's coupled with God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. The goods are taken from him. Closer in towards the middle, we have the dialogue with the self. So the man reasons to himself saying, what shall I do? And then he says to his soul, soul, you have many goods. And then the climax is the center stanza. This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. This solution that he presents to himself is the turning point of the story. This is where the Jewish people would understand that the climax was. So things to keep in mind. When we think of the self, we have in our Western culture, a very bifurcated view of self. Mind and body or soul and body are two separate things. And that those Greek terms are psyche and soma. And in Jewish Western or in Jewish tradition, they thought of all of that as one. And that was called, let me make sure I get this right, nefesh. You would not think that from looking at that, but I have asked a Hebrew scholar, and nefesh is how you pronounce that. So in our minds, uh, we think of chicken soup for the body and then chicken soup for the soul as soul food, right? But to the Hebrews, it's all just chicken soup. That's how to keep that. Uh, <laughs> that's how I keep it in my mind anyway. Yes, so, but that's all, it's all um, part of one. So in the same way that there's like a triune God, but it's all part of one, the mind, body, and spirit is all in one, as opposed to really the afterlife is where uh, the distinction comes into play in that the Greeks thought that just your soul was going to the afterlife where Hebrews thought there will be a physical bodily resurrection because your soul is part of this physical being. Yeah? What's the difference between spirit and soul? Uh, in, in the Greek sense, that would all be part of the spiritual, 
in the Hebrew sense, it's all together. But um, it depends on how you approach it. Yeah. Some people call the spirit the pneuma, the life force that keeps the body and the soul together. Because when you remove the spirit, they split. The suke or the soul is what makes you uniquely you. I'm glad you knew the answer to that because that's a little outside my depth. <laughs> um, if someone will read Psalm 42, this is a good example of Nefesh. Do we have a... Yeah, yeah. Jody. Do you want the whole thing or just the first two verses there? Uh, just one and two. Okay. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can, when can I go and meet with God? So this is an example of um, the soul and the body needing water and then the body needing God. It's the same um, concept for them. The need for water and the need for God are all the same need that's feeding the same being. Does that make sense? So when we keep that... Uh, view of self in mind then all of the blessings that are being given to this rich man we will look at through those eyes because the two things that the rich man are the two things in the story that the rich man has been blessed with are uh, the goods from his field and also his life are both blessings from God and one is something that feeds his physical body. And obviously life is something that is, we consider more of a spiritual gift, but they are all feeding his nefesh. Uh, so what exactly is the rich fool's sin? Sometimes uh, you will hear that this story of the rich fool um, being used to say, uh, this is a... If you have personal property, if you have things that are your own or yourself, that's a sin, that's bad. Um, but in no way and nowhere does the Bible really talk about um, the idea of personal property, owning something as personal property being the sin itself. Uh, let me flesh out this idea and then if there's questions at the end, because it's a multi-level process. There are also stories about um, in Acts, they uh, carried each other's burdens and they shared everything in community. That's the biggest communal property uh, verse that there is. So how do we balance these ideas between communal property and personal property? Throughout the Old Testament, a lot in Leviticus, you'll see God um, giving uh, rules about uh, plowing your fields and leaving leftovers for the wi widows and the orphans and on the seventh year let your fields lie fallow and on the 50th year cancel debts. All of that presupposes that there are land that is owned by you and uh, crops that are owned by you and you need to give of those and be generous with those. So it presupposes the idea that these crops are yours, your personal property. So it's important to note that, um, and I'll, get, I'll finish this idea of personal property when we talk about community in just a second. 
So, oop, I just realized I can't see the clock. I'm going to keep you guys an hour and a half if I can. <laughs> so, uh, it's important to it's important to note that here Jesus says that the surplus of possessions is the uh, insatiable desire, not possessions themselves. So it's the idea that we need things to live. We do. We need food and shelter and clothing. And so having the things that you need to live is not a sin. It's when you are storing up more and more and more in order to have that reliance on yourself and on those possessions for comfort and peace of mind that we have that insatiable desire that leads to sin. And that is where the rich fool is because he has a surplus. He already was rich and now he's had a bounty crop and has more and more and more. And what he chooses to do with that is the problem. So what is discussed in this parable is the idea of ownership versus stewardship. The rich fool acts as if he owns these crops. Uh, what shall I do with my crops in my barn on my land? This is acting as if these are things that he owns. When you uh, look at everything, life itself and everything in it, as a gift from God, then we see that these are God's possessions that he is giving us to steward. So it's our duty to use these as blessings for others. We obviously need to keep the food, clothing, and housing that we need to support ourselves, but when there's a surplus, we bless others with that. And we can see that this idea of stewardship, the idea that this life is not owned by the rich fool and the possession and the crops are not owned by the rich fool because at the end, when God finally speaks, he says, your life is required of you. And that is a Greek turn of phrase. When you have a loan that's due back, whatever that loan is, is required of you, is the language that they use to say, time to pay me back. So your life is required of you is your, your, your life was on loan. It, my, your life was a gift that I gave you and the loan is due. So not even your days are something that you own. All of it is a gift from God. And rather than being the owner of it, we are just the stewards of it. So we need to use it to bless others because that's what God has commanded us to do with his items. So that's personal property. And how personal property is used is very much tied in with the other big part of this par uh, thread throughout this parable, which is community. Uh, the rich fool is talking to himself. That would have stood out very strongly to the Hebrew audience because you don't talk to yourself in the Hebrew community. You talk to everyone else for hours about everything. <laughs> Right, no decision, no matter how trivial, is made by yourself. It's always something that you talk about and get advice and input from other people in your community. So the fact that he's talking to himself is weird. 
It means that he has isolated himself and that he has, uh, he is living apart from his community. So if someone will read Isaiah 5, 8. Do we have a volunteer? Woe to oh. you. Oh, Go ahead, Jody. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. Yeah, so woe to you who live alone in the land. Uh, it is good to be with other people and in that community. And here we see that the rich fool has, is living by himself because he has no one to talk to but himself. So he has isolated himself from his community. And that is something that has happened before the story starts, but it impacts the climax of the story, which is what he chooses to do with his surplus. The right answer would be to use the surplus as a blessing for others. But what he chooses to do is tear his barn down and build bigger ones, which is the wrong choice. And that's why he is a rich fool, not a rich wise man. Yeah, yeah, he does. But instead of the ghosts of Christmas past, present, he gets God. <laughs> uh, so the back to our idea of personal property and the idea that it's good to live in community. So what should we do with having personal property that belongs to us, but living in a community? There are verses throughout the Old and New Testament, and this is its own. So I'm going to do a... a 30,000 feet uh, overview of it. But basically the idea is that uh, you are commanded to first take care of yourself. For those of you who are, um, were in the class that my dad and I taught on uh, poverty alleviation, this is something that we talked about in there. So um, yes, I'm just stealing from that class. <laughs> um, so first you're commanded to take care of yourself. Um, there are, I can't remember what verse it is, but basically saying, if you don't work, you don't eat. Um, the idea that you, you are commanded to take care of yourself first. Once you are taking care of yourself, what you do beyond that is you take care of your family. In the Old and New Testament, if your family member has a debt, that's something that you're responsible for helping them out with. You take care of your family. After you are taken care of and your family is taken care of, you take care of your community. So for the Hebrews, that was the Hebrew community. For the first century church, that was the church. You take care of people in your community uh, slash church. So finally, if you have a surplus from yourself, from your family, and your community, you are commanded to use those blessings for the world, everybody else. And God says that there will always be poor. Um, so there will never be a, a time when you're like, well, I got all the surplus, but literally everyone else in the world is taken care of, so I guess I'll just hang on to this. That's not going to happen, ever. Um, there will always be um, problems that need to be fixed. That your blessings, whether it be money, crops, your time, the days of your life, the breath in your body, 
it can always be used uh, to bless others because we don't own those things. They're from God. So what we have here is that the rich man has isolated himself, even seemingly from his family, because he's not even talking to family members. He's talking to himself. So instead of trickling over to bless all of these, the rich man has decided to hoard up all these things in the middle. And that is very far away from the biblical model of how we should use our blessings. So this is the solution that I think the Bible presents on how we can carry each other's burdens and use things in common for the blessings of all, but at the same time, it's not a sin if you own a parcel of land or anything like that, because God has entrusted you with those things for the blessings of all. So at the very end, uh, the general principle that's brought back around at the very end is the laying up of treasure for yourself on earth is an insatiable desire. And that is not something that God uh, plans for us. So this is the sort of bifurcated two threads of personal property and community that are woven throughout the parable. But the parable takes place inside, um, inside a narrative. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, there's a third part to what the rich fool does that is sinful. And uh, that is straight up misinterpreting scripture and uh, in a malicious way in that he just blatantly forgets that last half of scripture. So um, this is Ecclesiastes 8.15, which is what the rich man is referencing. So I commended pleasure, for there is nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat and to drink and to be merry. And that's the part that the rich man talks about. But then there's a second part to that verse. And this will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life, which God has given him under the sun. So he eats and drinks and is merry, but forgets the part that the days of his life that God has given him. And this is something that the first century church in Hebrews would have recognized that uh, the rich man through Jesus is referencing Ecclesiastes 8, 15. Um, and the verse before this is talking about how sometimes bad things happen to good people and sometimes good things happen to bad people. So live life with joy, eat, drink, and be merry. Um, keeping in mind that God has given you a number of days. So now talking about, we've talked about the parable, but the parable takes place as a narrative in response to Jesus being asked by a man, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And the context of this is that rabbis were often asked to adjudicate uh, disputes. Uh, we, Stephen mentioned in an earlier week that uh, rabbis were masters of the law. And so instead of going to a judge as the master of the law, the rabbi is the master of the law. They're going to be the ones that can get you justice because they know the law the best. Uh, there are historical documents talking about how rabbis will move to bigger cities just so they can hear more disputes. They weren't getting enough traffic in their small towns. Uh, so rabbis enjoyed this part of the, of the job. It's fun. It's, I mean, people coming to you, asking your opinion and following what you say, 
that's a it's a ego rush. I mean, just just look at some of the behavior of judges uh, in America. <laughs> You're kind of you get to be God in your own courtroom. It's uh, interesting. Yes. Yeah. Oh, does she? Is she? A, Oh, <laughs> um, so the context of this is that uh, what has happened as a, is a man that has died without a will. So he has died intestate. And the way society worked at the time is it was up to the family to decide how to divide that man's property. And if there was more than one son, the oldest son had to sign off on this is how we're going to divide the property. So clearly, the younger son has decided this is the just way to divide the property. And the older brother is saying, uh-uh, no, I got veto power. So the younger son is coming to Jesus and saying, tell my older brother to divide the property. This is what's just. And the, Jesus isn't having it. We know he's not having it because he calls the younger brother man. And this translates to English pretty well. Man, bro. No, <laughs> um, he doesn't call him friend. He doesn't call him by his name. He just says man, which is a very short way of addressing him. And Jesus is concerned with justice. He, we can see that um, Jesus is a social justice warrior. He's concerned for the downtrodden, the people that are overlooked by society. So his response to this is not... Um, saying that justice should not be served. But what he is concerned with is that the younger brother already has in his mind what it is justice. He's not saying, Rabbi, teacher, what should be done in this situation? He's saying, Rabbi, teacher, I have the answer. Tell my brother I've got it right. <laughs> that's, how he's, that's how he's talking to Jesus. And Jesus knows that there has been a... Uh, divide here between brothers and he's not interested in saying that this divide is right he's interested in reconciliation and love and bringing people together so that's why he talks to the younger brother about insatiable desires and surplus of property well, talking to the younger brother too. right it's it, it one would imagine that there has been a falling out between these brothers. If you are coming for a third party to adjudicate your issue, there is there is something that's broken there. I get the sense both brothers are friends. We don't know, but it's very likely, especially considering that this is a, uh, they're asking, the younger brother at least we know is asking Jesus to adjudicate. Go talk to my brother. Yeah, go tell him. <laughs> yeah. So it's probably like you said, they brought this issue to him because he's there. Right. So God or Jesus, there's a couple issues that play here, but what we should not we should not take away that Jesus is not concerned with justice in this situation. Um, but we can assume that if you are inheriting something from your father, uh, there that is what is going to be a surplus. So in that instance, the parable directly applies to these brothers in that sense too. 
And then also there's the line, who will own what you have prepared when you're gone? You can't take it with you. So you're fighting over this, fighting over this, but there's no long term lasting effect. When you're gone, it's just gonna be the same thing over again. So to recap, there's the issue of personal property that's happening in here, the issue of community, uh, the issue of stewardship versus ownership, and finally, uh, the idea of justice and what we're owed versus the number of the blessings that God has given us. So I would love to hear your thoughts for the remaining 10 minutes or so that we have in class. Yes. Is this a model of trickle-down economics and the, the concentric circle? Uh, I think trickle-down economics is is a implies ownership. I would say that this is your cup flowing over, and when your cup flows over, then it flows over into others' cups, into others' cups, into others' cups. Kind of like take your blessing and bless others. So right. When you look at how community functions or work, remember in the church they took all they had and all they had in common and distributed among each other. So I guess they took their blessings, compiled their blessings together, which took care of self, family, community in that aspect. Uh, Christians were known, actually, the word where we get our word for hospitality or hospital comes from the Christian's practice of community and how they took care of others and would help the sick. So that idea, I, I totally agree with that and understand it, uh, how it would go. This guy got to the point, he had so much, and instead of giving to those who did not, he says, I'm gonna build something stored up more, I'm gonna hoard this. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't eat all that. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried, yeah, me too. It strikes me, even in our affluent culture today, how real this particular family dysfunction still is. Mm -hmm. And I, this, this parable, I wish, I wish more families would appreciate and understand. Yeah. Yes. And it just gets back to everybody, everybody's individual heart, because the first thing Jesus said is, watch out for greed. Mm -hmm. And we're all capable of being greedy, mm -hmm. regardless of how much we have. But it's the attitude toward what we have. Uh, and, and as everybody said, how we use it and, and how much do we need. And boy, and we're just fighting that in our society today. It's just materialism is just rampant. You've got to have this or this or this or this. Mm -hmm. Really? Do you? Really? Yeah. <laughs> And that's a good point that it's, it's, this is not a story about stuff. This is a story about insatiable desire that is being illustrated with stuff. So anything can be that security blanket that you're using to rely on instead of God. But so what is that thing in your life that is what you're using to comfort yourself instead of relying on God? For many people, it is, it is money. I've been coming when I was studying back in 2004, one of my professors had made a mention about possessions in some cases can become a part of a person so that when they lose that possession, it's like you just cut their arm off. <laughs> yeah. 
See, what, back when I was about, I think it was, let me see, 2007, I lost everything I had in the house fire. Oh. Um, and in that moment, it was really weird. I didn't care. It was gone, but I was more intent on trying to help my fellow people caught in this fire get where they need to go and get what they needed that even to the point when my cup was overflowing, all the blessings, like the very next day, people were showering me with clothes and everything else. I'll never forget it. The next day when I woke up, the first voice I heard was Lee Camp. He called me. I don't even know how he got my phone. At that point, I didn't have a class with him. He called me and said, what do you need? It? And, and, you know, he was there in a blink. Even my classmates tried to help replenish my books I lost. It got to the point where I got so much that I started just giving to the other people that were affected in the fire. Mm. And when I couldn't give to them anymore, I was giving to other people outside that. Yeah. I mean, that, that's how that blessing <laughs> flowed for so long. And it just kept going. And I just kept giving and kept giving. And it got to the point where somebody said, you lost everything you had. I said, yeah, because look what God replenished me with. I said, you can't get more from God if you hoard up what you already have that you can bless somebody else with. Mm-hmm. I said, because he's going to give you what you need to help. But he, you can't get more of what you need to help if you just get stuck on what you have right in front of you. Right. Anyone who uh, has moved into this area like we have from outside uh, found out that this area is quite wealthy. And uh, we have found that your circles up there really represent uh, uh, Otter Creek people who are very, very giving and uh, want to help others. Mm -hmm. I, I I have been here officially a member for about a year and a half. Um, but the, the generosity of people in, in Otter Creek is, I think, very apparent. And I mean, we've seen um, our, from family supporting each other all the way out to, uh, especially recently, the emphasis on world missions has just been, and the work that Dwayne Dixon is doing has been great. So we are called to give God the glory and not just Otter Creek. Right. Because it is because of what God is doing in us mm-hmm. that we can go, I represent Jesus first and I'm here for a church, but mostly Jesus. Yeah. Absolutely. So Otter Creek is our, is our church circle, but all of it is, is motivated by um, Jesus for sure. Yes. Even though we're, we're, we give a lot, we have a lot. So, uh, just how much are we still withholding? Because we still are more confident in stuff than we are our, our Savior. Thank right. God. So that would be my take on our generosity here. And I'm. Not poo-pooing our generosity at all. I'm just saying it's wonderful. But uh, personally, I mean, I struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason I bring it up, but where, uh, just how much am I sticking back that I sh- possibly could, or probably could be giving and letting trickle down, whatever you want to call it, to others, simply because I'm not trusting enough in our Father. Mm-hmm. 
to relabel it giving up generosity. Yes, so we're, instead of, we are handing over. <laughs> For those on the audio, that was me making a hand of hand gestures that weren't, weren't particularly <laughs> useful. <laughs> I'm saying that because my mom will definitely listen later. Hi, mom, we miss you. <laughs> and dad, probably. <laughs> He's making notes on all the things that he would have said if he were here. <laughs> Well, we've got uh, one more minute. Any burning thoughts? I guess for the concentric circles of going out to sell to the world, I guess when what we have is placed out towards family, community, and world, that's how we become richer towards God. Hmm. That's what we see not, that's what we do not see in the parable. What we see is the self-centeredness right. in that which He's not rich towards God. Why? Because he's not sharing his excess. Mm-hmm. He's not being communal. He's being an uh, individual. And in the ancient Near Eastern world, it was about helping, about community, in order to help survive. Yes, I, I do think that's an important thing to note, that not only was the man hoarding his, his possessions, he was also hoarding his life mm-hmm. by living by himself. And... And when God came to him, he didn't say, say goodbye to your things. He said, your, your day, yeah, your life is being recalled. So um, that's an, an important thing to note, that, that we are stewards of, of our time in addition to stewards of our, of our physical belongings. The familiar verse skips over those concentric layers God so loved the world right his family not his community yeah there's a reason that the biggest circle is the world we don't stop it we don't stop it our community's taken care of it's every single person we are set to take care of yes Becky your picture looks like ripples when you drop a stone in water and it Mm. carries out but that's life because that's making the water move and it disperses the yucky bad stuff that we produce just in our own lives but it also feeds the things that are beyond that need it and it takes the power the water carries the good boost that is also in the water out to the things that we get so it's, it's environmental but if this man who was living, he didn't drop any stones, he didn't have any ripples, so he was basically choking himself on his own pollutants and not carrying life out. Yeah, he was stagnating. It's also exponential because you take care of your, yourself so you can take care of your family, and then your family are able to take care of themselves, and, take, and it just starts to. It starts to grow, yeah. And it'll come back into the center. Have y'all ever noticed that most people have ever noticed that the ripple comes back once it hits its boundaries, it ripples back to the center. (laughs) Not as big as the one going out. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that we created a new analogy to to replace trickle-down blessings to uh, ripple blessings, ripple-out blessings. (laughs) Have a good week, everybody.